glorious. We thank you, God, that you have a wonderful place for us to live with you forever. And we thank you that we can live with you now. We pray that you would fill us now with the Holy Spirit as we look into your word, as we read about what is to come for your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're walking through the book of Revelation here. We're getting very close to the end. In fact, we're going to be in the last chapter today. Um, And in the last two chapters of Revelation, we see a series of descriptions of heaven. Now again, technically what we see is the new heaven and the new earth, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, but we'll just call that heaven for short. It is the place that God has picked out for his children to live with him forever. And one of the things that I want us to learn about heaven is that it will be a far better place than we can even imagine. I think too many people have too low of a view of heaven, even to the point of some people wondering if they want to go there. I mean, if you think about harps and clouds, if if that was our entire existence for all of eternity, I can understand why that would seem boring. But that's not what it is. In fact, the description that we'll see of heaven today is so different than harps and clouds that you'll understand why it's going to be so much better. And even just, you know, you think about the, the, the comic strips that you see about harps and clouds. One of the things that I've noticed is usually missing from that picture. Anybody know, know it with me? God. So let's, let's get this out of our mind that it's going to be boring, that it's going to be harps and clouds, that it's just going to be us and maybe a few other people on our cloud. It is going to be much better than that. The passage that we're going to look at today, Revelation 22, 1 through 6, is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It gives us a wonderful description of what our eternal home will be like. Um, But before we dive into that passage, I want to just tell you some other things, some from other places in the Bible that I'm looking forward to about heaven. So I want to give you a list of eight things that I am looking forward to in heaven. And there's not even going to be things on this list like basketball or things like that. These are things that the Bible tells us are going to be there, things that I'm looking forward to. And the first six of them that I have are in no particular order. So one of the things I'm looking forward to is a home prepared by Jesus. Think about that. God, the creator of the universe, preparing a home for you. In John 14, too, Jesus told his followers, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And and in that same passage, Jesus reminded his followers that he would be with them. So think about that, what your home in heaven might look like. I kind of have a picture of my home in my mind. And I picture Jesus being there, and I get to hang out with him. And it's going to be perfect. Another thing I'm looking forward to in heaven is food. We are told in multiple places in the Bible that we will enjoy a feast of food. In our passage today, we're going to look at wonderful fruit that we'll get to eat. And I would just like to add that there is not a single verse in the Bible that says that there will not be Mountain Dew in heaven. Okay? So, um, we'll see. But we know that we will have perfect food there. And think about this. We can eat food in worship to God there. That will be part of our act of worship is to to eat food. Now, on earth, we all struggle with food. Maybe some struggle less. Maybe your only struggle with food is that you uh, get too full at the buffet and you can't go back. But um, for others, I know that there's, there's issues of weight. Uh, maybe some of you have a medical condition where you can't have too much salt or you can't tolerate gluten or dairy. But think about in heaven where it will be perfect and God will prepare food for us to eat and we'll eat it in worship to him. That sounds really good to me. And and it just reminds me, actually, that um, some of the things that we experience on earth are kind of a taste of heaven. So maybe we have a really good taste of food sometime. Let that remind you of what it's going to be like in heaven. 
Another thing I'm looking forward to, in heaven there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's from Revelation 21.4. Wouldn't it be great to live in a place where none of those awful things will exist? Another thing I'm looking forward to, rest. Um, who here does not feel like they get enough rest? Yeah, okay, all right. You're strong enough to raise your hand. Good, That's, I'm glad that you're at least at that point. But um, in Hebrews 3 and 4, it talks about entering into rest through believing in Jesus Christ. God will give us rest in heaven. Another thing I'm looking forward to is awesome worship music. Now, this is one where some people might think, oh, wait a second, is all we're going to do to be to worship God in heaven? Well, depending on how you define the word worship, I don't think that the only thing that we'll do in heaven is to sing. I think we will sing there, though, and I think the music will be awesome. So you think about, again, music that you enjoy here, or you think about a worship song that you really enjoy, well, magnify that by infinity, and uh, I think the music there is going to be really, really good. We'll get to join in with the angels. We will have perfected voices. Uh, some of you are pretty close to that already. I'm not, so I'm looking forward to being, being able to use a perfected voice to praise God. And then another thing I'm looking forward to in heaven is meaningful work to do. Now that one might sound strange, especially since I just told you about rest, but I'm looking forward to work that God will give me to do. Work that will be a joy, work that won't be a burden. <laughs> Uh, and we'll talk more about this one in our passage today. So those are six things I'm looking forward to, but I now want to move on to the top two, and I have these in ascending order. My second most favorite thing that I'm looking forward to in heaven is perfect relationships with other people. Again, heaven won't just be you on a cloud by yourself. There will be other people there who have believed in Jesus Christ as well, and we'll be together. And here's the awesome part. Our sin won't get in the way there. Now, I... I want to apologize to every single one of you that I have ever offended with something I have done or said or should have done that I didn't do. And seriously, I mean that. I, I have walked around on this life and sinned way too many times and that has strained relationships. And I apologize that my sin gets in the way. Now, it's, it's your sin sometimes, and I'm not saying that all of you have sinned against me, but we've all sinned against each other. And our sin gets in the way of those relationships. So think about being in heaven with the people you love, but your sin no longer gets in the way of that relationship. I'm looking forward to that. And then similarly, number one, I'm looking forward to a perfect relationship with God, where my sin doesn't get in the way of my relationship with God. Now, I have a relationship with God now, but I can't see Him. And my sin gets in the way. He, he, his sin doesn't get in the way. He doesn't have any sin. But my sin gets in the way. And we live in this world where there's lots of mess around. I'm looking forward to that time where there will be a face-to-face -face relationship with him. And it will be perfection. The blessing of God with us, which I think is the biggest blessing in the Bible, will be perfectly and fully realized as we walk around with him. So think about this. I just mentioned eight things in heaven that I think will be pretty awesome, and there's lots more. Those eight things are different than what we experience now. And now I'll ask for a show of hands. Raise your hand as, you, as we've gone through this list. Raise your hand if you know that there's something wrong with this world. And I'm going I'm to raise both of my hands. Okay? We, we think about perfection and all the wonderful things that will be there, and then we take a look at earth and our lives and we realize it's not like that. It's not perfect. It makes us long for something more. So what went wrong? Well, the Bible clearly tells us what went wrong. 
Um, it didn't start wrong, though. Remember the first chapter of the Bible? God created the heavens and the earth, and after he created, what did he say? Uh, God saw all that he had made, and it was... Nope. Very good. We'll put it up there. It was very good. All that God had made was very good. Man lived in a place called the Garden of Eden. The word Eden means delight or paradise. But two chapters later in Genesis 3, something awful happened. We know what happened there. Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and they took the fruit, which is super sad when you think of it this way. They had all the fruit that they needed, but Satan pointed to the one tree that they weren't supposed to eat from, and, they, and Satan lied to them. And think about this. God had already declared that it was very good, yet Satan told them, God's withholding something good from you. And Adam and Eve believed the lie, and they, they took the fruit, and they ate it. They disobeyed God, and as a result of their sin, God sent the curse. And this curse was given not just to mankind, but it was given to the earth as well. And here are some things that the Bible tells us that came with sin and with the curse. This is just a partial list. Pain and childbearing. Strained relationships. Painful toil in our work. Any of you ever experienced that one? Any of you ever hit your thumb with a hammer? Or any of you ever been against a deadline? Or had a lot of stress at your work? That came as a result of sin and the curse. And it gets worse. Death, the fact that our bodies degenerate and die comes from sin and the curse. And worst of all, the punishment of that first sin was a broken relationship with God, which would have led to eternal death had God not stepped in. So as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, God banished them from the Garden of Eden. They could no longer go in and eat from the tree of life. In fact, God sent an angel with a flaming sword to guard the entrance there so that they would not eat from the tree of life again. The theologian Grant Osborne says God did that lest they find immortality in the midst of their sin. It it was really an act of grace from God, not letting us eat from the tree of life in our sinful, mortal state. So perfection was marred, and we, all of our lives, think about this, every single breath that you have ever taken has been marred by an imperfect world that we live in due to our sin and due to the curse that God gave as a reminder of our sin. So let me ask you a question. Tired of sin? I am. I want something better. It says in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in, the hearts of our mind, in, in our hearts. We all know, every single one of us, some people have tried to suppress this, but we know that there's something more. And the Bible tells us about that. In Revelation 22, 1-6, through 6, it gives us, gives us this wonderful picture, and I now want to read the passage. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. 
The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So I want to walk through this passage, and then when I'm done with it, I want to give three points of application, because I want to remind you that what we read about here isn't just meant to be something good we get later. It's meant to encourage us right now as we live our lives of faith. So walking through this passage, in verse 1, we see the river of the water of life. It's as clear as crystal, and it flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So this language is similar to Ezekiel 47 in the Old Testament. And in Ezekiel 47, there's a verse there that talks about this, a river like this one, and it says there, where the river flows, everything will live. Isn't that cool? It's this picture of God perfectly sustaining everything. The, the water flows from him, and everywhere it goes, it brings life. God is the author of life. And when Jesus came, he came with an offer of life. He offered living water. And Jesus also told us about the Holy Spirit, who, because we have him, streams of living water will flow from within us. And we have a taste of that now. We really do, in our relationship with God, we have a taste of that. But in heaven, it'll be the perfect fulfillment of life. That's why they call it eternal life. God himself will sustain life, and the river of life symbolizes that. But there's even more life, because in verse 2, we're going to see the tree of life. Now I hope, especially after I mention Genesis 1-3 through 3 in my introduction, that your mind remembers the tree of life from there. Before they sinned, Adam and Eve were allowed to eat from the tree of life, but after they sinned, they were not allowed to eat of it. God kicked them out of the garden. Now here, in Revelation 22, is that same tree of life. So it's kind of interesting. The Bible starts off here at the beginning with a tree of life, and then all the way through the middle of it, we don't get the tree of life, and then at the very end, God gives it to his children again as a blessing after the work of redemption has been done. Now this tree bears 12 crops of fruit, bearing its fruit every month. Can you imagine this? Let me help you try. I, wanna, I want you all to turn to your neighbor here, and I want you all, even while I'm talking, I want you to tell each other the best fruit you've ever eaten. Or, or just tell them one of the favorite fruits. So go ahead. You can, you can talk over me for a moment here. What's the best fruit that you've ever eaten? Go ahead and keep talking. I'll tell my story here. For me, it's a no-brainer. Um, I was in Turkey. I lived there for about a year of my life, and one of my friends there had an orange farm, and he invited me to his orange farm, and it was a beautiful, beautiful place. And while we were walking around there, he said to me, go ahead, pick an orange and eat it. Now, I like oranges. They're, they're okay. I actually prefer orange juice because somebody else has gone to the work of peeling it for me, and I can just drink it. But um, I said, sure, I'll take an orange. Grabbed an orange off the tree, peeled it, took a bite, and it was so juicy and good. I just wanted to like smash it onto my face and let the juice drip, drip over, and then grab another one and do this. I did. I, I'm just being honest with you. That's what I wanted to do. I don't want to go back there and do it again. But, um, and that's just on earth. Now think about this. We have a taste. We've all tasted wonderful fruit here. In heaven, God will produce fruit from the tree of life. Twelve crops of fruit bearing its fruit every month. It is going to be wonderful. And then there's also the leaves. It says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now in heaven, there won't be any death or pain, so I don't think that we should picture getting injured in heaven and then going to the tree of life to get healed from that. No, I think that these leaves will stand as a visual reminder of the perfect healing that we have in Christ. There won't be any physical or spiritual need in heaven, and the leaves will remind us of that. 
So in verses 1 and 2, life is a key word in our passage. Our sin brought death to the world, and we have lived all of our lives with the effect of sin and death and the curse. But in heaven, God will perfectly take care of all of those things, and it will be life. Now, just a quick side note about verse 2. Um, it's kind of hard to picture how this works with the, the river of life, and then it says the tree of life on each side of the river. How does that work? Is it one big tree that kind of spans over both sides of the river? Or is it multiple trees of life lining the banks? I kind of go with that second one. The theologians call this the collective singular. It would be like saying, in Fergus Falls, we have elm tree that lines our streets. Well, it's actually multiple elm trees that we have, but I think it might be like that here. So I picture a river, and on the banks of the river are multiple trees of life. But let's move on to verse 3. There it says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. No more curse. This is one of my favorite verses. Again, um, we have lived all of our lives under the curse. It, it came back in Genesis 3. I hope you're remembering that as we talk about the word curse. And for the sake of repetition, let me just remind you that it was God who sent the curse as a result of our sin. Now, why did God do that? Should we think, oh boy, God really... I mean, they took one piece of fruit and God sent sin and... Or, no, he didn't send sin. He sent death and the curse for the rest of our lives? Is that fair? Well, think about this. Why did God send the curse? It, is an, it has been an ever-present reminder for us of the damaging effects of our sin. If Adam and Eve sinned against God and nothing happened, they might think that their sin wasn't that bad. But we now know every single time we face any of the effects of the curse, whether that's you hitting your thumb with a hammer or whether it's a loved one dying or you getting an illness, you can know that God sent that to remind you of the damaging effects of sin. We were not created to live a life of sin and the curse is meant to remind us that there is something better than a life of sin. But in heaven there will be no more need for that curse Everything will have been taken care of and God will finally lift that curse. For those of us who have been completely cleansed from our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, we will never sin again and there's no need for that curse. And as we saw last Sunday, nothing impure will ever enter heaven. It's an undoing of Genesis 3. Now, how is the curse removed? I've just told you that God will remove it. But let's talk more specifically about that and see what Jesus did for us. In Galatians 3:13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That word redeemed is that, that word we talked about in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. It's a, it's a slavery word. That when you buy somebody out of slavery, you set them free. There was a price on their head and somebody purchases them, purchases them out of it. That's what Jesus did for us. He purchased us from the curse. How did he do it? By becoming a curse for us. Our sin led to death. That was the result of the curse. Jesus took our death. So that any of us who believe in him are set free from death. Now we know the end of the story too. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again. So he defeated the powers of sin and death and the devil. And he will be there with us in heaven with no more curse. 
Then it also says in verse 3 that God's servants will serve him. Now how is that a description of perfection? That, that looks like work, doesn't it? At first glance. Well, this is what I, I mentioned earlier that I'm kind of excited about in heaven. The word serve here, first of all, can also be translated as worship. So some of your translations probably end there by saying his servants will worship him. So which one is it? Is it serve or is it worship? Well, it's both. This word comes from the Old Testament word that was uh, the word for serve or worship. In fact, sometimes in the Old Testament it's almost impossible to tell whether the word should be serve or worship. Here's an example of that. The priests in the tabernacle, were they serving God or were they worshiping God? Both, right? Their act of service in the tabernacle was an act of worship. So whether they were slaughtering a sacrifice or teaching people the law or leading in songs, they were serving as they were worshiping. They were worshiping as they were serving. And that's going to be us. Or think of it this way. Adam, in the Garden of Eden, uh, before he sinned, before the curse came, was given work to do. God told him to tend the garden. So, before there was any sin, before there were any thorns that were growing, Adam had work to do in the Garden of Eden, and it was a joy to him. In heaven, we will experience this kind of joyful work, serving God as we worship him. We will be given jobs to do in heaven that will bring fulfillment to our lives. So let's think about what some of those jobs might be. We were just told that there's a tree of life bearing its, its fruit every month. Do any of you like gardening? Maybe part of your job up in heaven will be to tend the tree of life and maybe to serve the fruit to other people. Or do any of you here have gifts of leadership or administration that you enjoy using? Maybe God will give you opportunities to use those gifts in heaven. Or what about maybe being on the worship team? Maybe there are some of you that are on the worship team here and you're like, hey, I'll keep doing that forever. I love it. Or maybe there are some of you that are like, man, I'm an awful singer, but boy would I love to be a worship leader someday. Maybe you'll get to do that with your perfected voice. Or I was thinking just the other day that uh, I, uh, my initial plan for my career was to be a civil engineer because I loved the idea of, of designing bridges. Now, I, I left that career path, but I thought maybe in heaven God will let me design a bridge somewhere. So think about it. God will give meaningful work for you to do in heaven, and you will do it in worship to God. It will be a joy to you, and it will bring glory to God. We're told in Revelation 5.10 that we'll be priests to serve our God. Now in the Old Testament, that happened in the tabernacle or in the temple. And think about that place. Inside the tabernacle or the temple was the holy place. And here's a pop quiz question. See how well you were listening last week. What were the dimensions of the holy place? It was shaped like a cube. Oh, wow. Everybody got that. Josh, way to go. Okay. Um, and then Josh told us last week that the, the place, the, the new Jerusalem is also laid out like a cube. So the, the place where we will live in heaven will be the most holy place. And we will be there as priests to serve and to worship God. And by the way, I think this gets at the main theme of the book of Revelation, worship. When we properly understand what worship is, it brings meaning to our lives. You see, worship isn't just the songs we sing, it's the lives that we live for God. And in heaven, we will get to worship God, whether by eating. Isn't that, again, isn't that awesome? We can worship God by eating in heaven. Uh, we can worship God by resting 
or by, by working for Him. And by the way, those are things we can even do now. We'll get to that later. But for now, let's move quickly uh, to verses 4 through 6. We'll go through these a little faster. In verse 4, we're told that we'll get to see God's face and His name will be on our foreheads. Right now, we can't see God's face. But because Jesus came, we will one day be able to see God's face and live in a face-to-face relationship with Him. And His name will forever be on our foreheads. Now that picture of his name on our foreheads reminded me of the Toy Story movies. Remember in those movies where the, the toys have the name of their owner on their foot? So here's a picture of Woody with the name Andy on his foot. And you can see Woody in that picture. He's, he's smiling. Because in those movies, having Andy's name on their foot was a comfort to them. There, there were some times where you know, one of the toys just had to slap another toy in the face. and say, Look at your foot. You've got Andy's name on your foot and he cares for you. And I, I kind of picture that this is the, one of the reasons for God's name to be on our foreheads. It'll be this ever-present reminder that we belong to God and He will perfectly take care of us. Then in verse 5, we're reminded that we won't need a lamp or even the sun. God will be our light. There will be no more night. This is again a, a perfect fulfillment of God with us. He will be so with us that we won't even need a lamp or a light. So uh, one of your jobs in heaven will not be to change the light bulb. I think, is anybody going to miss that? If so, I just say, get your fill of it now. But uh, in heaven, you won't have to do that. Then in verse 5, it also says, they will reign forever and ever. That's us. Those of us who know Jesus. We won't only be citizens in heaven, we will also get to reign with Jesus. Now this authority doesn't come from us. It comes from God and Jesus. But we will get to share in that with them. And then in verse 6, we're guaranteed these words are trustworthy and true. Uh, These words perhaps refer to all of the words in the book of Revelation. They will happen. And then we're also told that these things must soon take place there at the end of that verse. Now, people have often questioned this idea of soon in the book of Revelation because it's been almost 2,000 years since the book was written. How can we now believe that it's still soon? Well, just a few ways that we can believe that. For one, it's still the very next chapter in God's story. Jesus died, and then it was the age of the church, and the next chapter, we, we live in the church age right now, the very next chapter is the one where Jesus comes back. Also, the word soon, God said to him, a thousand years is like a day. So really, it hasn't even been two days, a full two days yet since he left. Um, And then also we are told, as we wait for the second coming of Jesus, we are told to be ready. It could be any day. could be soon. And on that note of being ready, I want to close my sermon with three points of application. Because again, we're told these things about heaven not just so that we can put them in our memory banks and, and uh, see them later. It's to strengthen us now. So application number one is a question. Will you be in or out? Are you going to get to go into heaven? The only people who get to go into heaven are those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, those who belong to him. If you are with him, you'll be in. If not, you'll be left out. So are you with Jesus? Those who have received him as Savior and Lord. Those who continue to follow him as Lord. We will be in. And if you're at all unsure whether you've ever received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can talk to him right now. 
You can confess to him that you have sinned, ask him to forgive you, and ask Jesus to take his rightful place as your Lord and King and Master. And from there, our goal is to continue to live with him every day, knowing that he is Lord and we are his servants, and our job is to worship him and to follow him. And you know what? We all mess up. But what do we do when we mess up? We keep seeking him. We don't just turn around and go our own way. Those who know Jesus will follow him. And those who know and follow him will get to live with him forever. So are you in or out? Now we lost something. We all know that. Genesis 3 explains to us how that happened due to our sin. But Jesus came to restore. And if you're with him, you'll get in on that restoration. Application number two. Flee from sin now. It was sin that got us into this mess. Sin leads to death. Satan tempts us. He lies to us and he tells us that a life of sin will be better, more pleasing to us than a life of following God. But it's a lie. Sin separates us from God. Sin is what caused Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve to be banished from the Garden of Eden. Sin is what caused Jesus to be sent to die on the cross for our sins. Sin is what gets in the way of our relationship with God right now. Don't live in it. And I'm speaking to myself here. And and I want you to know that if you're caught in any sin right now, and I want you to think about that. I I want you all to just in the quietness of your own seat right now, just think about a sin that you're struggling with. Think about something that you are doing that is not what God has led you to do. Maybe it's a, a bad reaction that you have towards people in your life. Maybe it's a a sinful habit that you've been in that you know you shouldn't be in. That will not bring you the fulfillment that it tempts you with. But please also know that any sin that you're caught in right now, you can repent of. You can turn away from it. Just talk to God about your sin. Be honest with Him. Ask Him to forgive your sin and ask Him to give you the strength to live the right way. And I love that, thinking about repentance in those two parts. First part is asking God to to forgive us because we know that we have sinned. And then the second part is asking God to help us to turn away from sin and to turn towards Him. But maybe it means that you need to be honest right now with God about a sin that maybe has been there for way too long in your life. Or maybe it's a sin that you've seen just creeping up lately. Whatever it is, talk to God about it and flee from it. I hope that we are people who hate sin so much that we want it gone, that we recognize it will not bring about the life that we want. But God will lead us into life. So sin leads to death. Flee from it now. But here's the cool thing about Christianity. We don't just turn away from sin. I think that a lot of people think, you know, it's it's just harps and clouds in heaven and the Bible just tells you a bunch of fun stuff that you shouldn't do. No, that is not the case. God tells us to turn away from sin so that we can turn towards something that will truly bring fulfillment and joy into our lives. And that's the third part of my application here. Worship God now. Again, this, this all hinges on a proper definition of worship. And when I say worship, what I mean is that we live our lives so focused on Jesus that everything we do brings Him glory and everything we do brings us joy. That's how worship works. Again, not just the songs we sing, but our whole lives. Jesus told us to store up treasures in heaven. 
And I hope after listening to this sermon today and looking at this passage that you recognize that there are going to be some really good treasures in heaven. I hope that you want to store up those treasures. So how do we do it? We store up those treasures by living the way that God wants us to now. And as we live the way that he wants us to, that's called worship. One of the ways that I like to define worship is to put Romans 12.1 up for you. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Again, that word worship there is that same word that can mean either serve or worship. And how are we to offer that kind of worship? By giving our bodies to God as living sacrifices. Meaning all that we do, we do for Him to bring Him honor and glory. So how do we do that? How do we offer our bodies as living sacrifices? Well, let's think about a a few different ways we can do that. First one, at work or at school. You can worship God with what you do there. You can work hard. The Bible says that we should work as if working for the Lord and not for men. So you don't just work just to please your boss or, or do school just to get good grades. You do it to honor God. And as you're working or as you're at school, you treat your coworkers or your fellow students well. You treat your customers well. God is pleased with that kind of work. You see, in heaven he'll give us meaningful work to do. And right now we can have a taste of that. God, I think, will give us meaningful work to do here as well. And we can honor him as an act of our worship by doing our jobs as if doing them for him to bring him honor and glory. Also, we can worship God in our daily lives by seeking him every day, by living lives of continual prayer, by seeking God in his word, by being active in the fellowship of believers. Those are things that we can do to engage in worship now. By telling other people about Jesus, by helping them grow in their faith, we can worship God. And you can even worship God with your rest. Think about that. You can invite God to rest with you. Or what you're doing to rest, say, hey God, I'm going I'm to sit down on the couch a little while. Will you be here with me and rest with me? Or be with me as I rest? And maybe he'll say, no, get up and clean the dishes. But uh, maybe he'll say, yeah, let's rest a little bit. God wants to be with us now and forever. Let's worship him with lives lived for him in everything we do. But then one other thing I want to get at, and this is, this is as much for me. You can listen to this if you want to, but this is for me. Um, worship God with whatever is difficult for you. Think about, okay, now, now I'm going to include you in the rest of this too. Think about that thing in your life that's most difficult right now. The thing that causes you stress, the thing that robs you of joy, the thing that you're not looking forward to today or tomorrow. Think about that. Now, think about entering into that with a heart of worship. In the Old Testament, King David said, I will not offer to God sacrifices that cost me nothing. You know, it's easy to praise God when everything's going really well, but think about those things that are difficult for you. That is when it is difficult to worship God. And I want you to enter into that the next time you enter into it with a heart of praise and saying, God, I usually struggle with this. This usually would stress me out, or I'd get angry, or I'd be impatient. And I want you to think about trusting God to give you the strength to work in that for Him, to serve Him, to worship Him, to respond with joy and love instead of whatever else it might be. I think that could be a great act of worship. 
And then a very quick conclusion. I was listening to the uh, end of one of my sermons this week, and Josiah said, your conclusions are really long. Um, so this one's really short, okay. Or really short for me, at least. Uh, these descriptions of heaven are given to us to encourage us. We are supposed to know that God will make everything right and perfect. Right now, we still have to put up with the effects of sin and curse and, the, and death. But Jesus is coming again, and those who know him will live with him in perfection. Until then, let's keep seeking him. And then two verses to close us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17-18. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for these words, which you've told us in our passage today, are trustworthy and true. We thank you that there will be a time where there will be no more curse. Thank you, God, that the effects of sin will be fully taken care of that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, that we will see you face to face and we will serve you and worship you and live with you. God, that will be an amazing time. And I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would have that hope now as we think about those incomparable riches of glory and the inheritance that you have for us. But God, may our hearts be strengthened now to flee from sin, knowing that sin does not lead to life. And God, may our hearts be encouraged to worship you, to live lives now of worship where we seek you and walk with you in all that we do. So God, please help us to honor you with those kinds of lives. And we thank you and praise you, God, for the life that is to come through Jesus Christ with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.